0: listening to The Jordan Is My Lawyer podcast. This is your host, Jordan, and I give you the legal analysis you've been waiting for. Here's the deal. I don't care about your political views, but I do ask that you listen to the facts, have an open mind, and think for yourselves. Deal? Oh, and one last thing. I'm not actually your lawyer. Welcome back to The Jordan Is My Lawyer podcast, and third ever true crime episode today we're talking about a triple murder that hits pretty close to home for me to this day it's only partially solved it's solved for the most part but the crazy part is is that i went to high school with all of these kids the shooters and the victims But before we get into it i ended the last episode saying i would touch on the scott peterson hearing in regard to his potential new trial for the murder of his wife and unborn child Lacey and connor peterson if you haven't listened to that episode already go ahead and listen to it it's my last true crime episode so the hearing wrapped up on friday but a decision hasn't yet been made the judge has until november 10th to decide whether scott peterson will receive a new trial or not And basically, this judge has to decide whether or not this juror's misinformation regarding her prior litigation and abuse was material enough to Scott Peterson's verdict. And the reason I say misinformation is because Scott's attorneys say that she intentionally lied. She says it was just a mistake. So I'm not going to go ahead and say it was a lie when, you know, she has her own defense. If the juror can show that it was merely an honest mistake, like she says it was, and the judge determines that the misinformation wasn't material to the verdict, then the judge can deny Scott's new trial. But I've heard multiple legal, legal experts say that Scott actually has a pretty good chance here. So we'll see what happens with that. And you know I'll have an update for you when the time comes, when we have one. So if you don't already, make sure to follow me on TikTok, at lawyer because that's where I post most frequently. And that is where you'll hear it first. So I grew up in Jupiter, Florida. Jupiter is beautiful. It's a larger town, but not necessarily a metropolitan area. It has a population of about 65,000 people. It's one of those towns where everyone knows everyone, despite not being a quote-unquote small town. Jupiter is a beach town. It has the absolute prettiest waterways and beaches. So growing up, We spent our days at the beach with friends or on the boat at a sandbar. Most everyone has a boat in Jupiter. If you didn't have a boat, you definitely knew someone that had a boat. The boats would tie up or anchor at the sandbar for the day, and those were the best days. It would just be a day filled with friends, music, and drinking. And yes, even in high school, we would drink. It was the norm. But drinking was the least of it. Growing up, I was always blown away with how many kids I knew that were doing drugs on the daily and I guess more so blown away as to how easy the drugs were to get for these kids and I'm not just talking marijuana, like we're not just talking, you know, potheads here. I'm talking about Xanax, Percocet, ecstasy, synthetic heroin, you name it. As I got older, I realized that this happens in other towns too, but still, Jupiter was different. There's a lot of money in Jupiter, and I've always thought maybe that had something to do with it, but as it turns out, drugs would be one of the motivating factors behind the triple homicide in 2017. It was Super Bowl Sunday, 2017, four friends were having a bonfire, Brandy Alsahe, Kelly Doherty, Sean Henry, and Charlie Vorpagel. I was never good friends with any of them, but Brandy and I were in a marketing class together. Sean was a pretty popular kid, he ran track, he was an active member at church, and he had actually just returned home from a mission trip in Haiti. When he was killed everyone loved sean i personally don't know much about kelly but people have said she was known for her infectious smile and wanted to become a real estate agent just like her mom on the night of the murders brandy kelly and sean were hanging out at their friend charlie's house charlie vorpagel also went to the same high school as all of us He got himself into a bit of a sticky situation, you could call it, after high school. You know, he started hanging out with the wrong crowd. He eventually got into drugs and guns and started sort of a drug and gun operation out of his house. As one could imagine, something like that eventually leads to more trouble, and Charlie had actually been arrested for drugs prior to this incident, so this was nothing new for him. But these four were just hanging out at Charlie's house, sitting around the fire, doing drugs, and actually they weren't even watching the Super Bowl. Charlie, the host of the get-together and the sole survivor of this group of friends, says that he sat down by the fire that night, lit a cigarette, and doesn't remember finishing it before the shots rang out in his backyard. They were being ambushed. Charlie fell out of his chair and started running towards the alleyway in his yard that led to the front of his house. He jumped over an air conditioning unit, landed in a pile of brush, climbed a fence, and eventually made it to his neighbor's house and let himself in. He told his neighbor to call 911, but that's all he could get out. He tried telling his neighbor that his friends were shot, but he couldn't make out his words. He was having a full-blown panic attack. He told his neighbor, though, to go hide and lock the door behind him. For whatever reason, Charlie goes back outside and hides behind some trash cans before making his way around to the front of his neighbor's house and eventually hides behind a truck. That's when Charlie says he saw the shooters. According to Charlie, the shooters were dressed in dark clothes and had their faces covered. Charlie said it looked like one of the shooters had his arm around the other's waist and was helping him to get in the car. At this point, one of the neighbors hears two men saying, We need to get in the effing car now. We need to leave. The police are on their way. And then the neighbor saw the two men get into Sean's Honda, which was parked in the driveway of the home. Keep in mind that Sean was one of the friends hanging out at Charlie's house, not one of the shooters. So, these shooters stole Sean's car, which was in the driveway, to use as their getaway car. The shooters backed out of Charlie's driveway and fled, heading east, which led one of the neighbors to realize that the shooters couldn't have been familiar with the neighborhood because otherwise they would have known that there was no exit that way. Eventually, the shooters make their way out of the neighborhood, and they run a red light nearby. At this point, the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office had no idea about the shooting, and they pulled the car over for blazing through the red. But the car only stops for a second, and when the car stops, it becomes clear that the car wasn't stopping for the police, but instead to drop someone off at a different car a BMW that was parked on the side of the road, less than a mile away from the shooting. When the back door of the Honda opens for that split second, one of the guys falls out of the back seat and the Honda takes off again. Luckily, there were two detectives in two separate cars pulling the car over. So one detective went and followed the Honda that had just taken off again, and the other detective went to get the guy who fell out of the back seat near the parked BMW. This man ends up being identified as Christopher Visada. In high school, he was Chris, not Christopher. He was a varsity volleyball player and pretty cute. He was taller, tan, blonde hair, blue eyes. But by February 2017 the time of the shooting, he looked like a completely different kid. No sign of a tan, sunken in face, and looked like the kind of kid that was up to no good. When the detective approached Chris, he told her he had been shot. When the detective asked by who, he said he didn't know because he blacked out. Before Chris was taken to the hospital, detectives searched his pockets and found a magazine not a magazine that you read, a, a, a magazine for a gun, and a loose bullet that matched forty caliber bullets found inside the nearby BMW. Detectives found Chris's driver's license inside of the BMW. So at this point, the thought is that this is Chris's car and perhaps this was the car that the shooters took to the scene and then didn't drive the car fully to the scene and planned on running back to the car afterwards, but maybe things didn't go to plan, so they took one of the victim's cars. Later that night, the Honda that dropped Chris off at the BMW was found abandoned on I-95, which is one of Florida's main highways, and the car had run out of gas. Authorities recovered a high-powered rifle, gloves, and a shirt inside of the honda but it wasn't until november nine months later that the second arrest was made his name was marcus stewart and side note this is actually the only person involved that i didn't go to high school with he must have gotten involved with these kids after high school when they started you know getting involved in the drug dealing and gun dealing Marcus was tied to the shooting by way of DNA evidence on items recovered from the Honda that was left abandoned on the highway. The police actually first arrested Marcus a couple of months after the shooting in April for resisting arrest while detectives served a search warrant on him trying to get his DNA after his DNA had been found on the items in the car. He was eventually released on the resisting arrest charges, and then finally, like I said, in November, he was arrested in connection with the Super Bowl incident and charged with three counts of first-degree murder with a firearm, one count attempted first-degree murder with a firearm, and one count of grand theft of a motor vehicle. But April wasn't the first time that Marcus failed to cooperate with law enforcement, Following his arrest in November, he was set to make his first court appearance that next morning, and actually refused to appear, so the judge denied his bond. But the worst part is that Marcus hasn't even gone to trial yet, and it's been almost five years. In November of 2021, Circuit Court Judge Charles Burton signed an order declaring Marcus incompetent to stand trial because of an intellectual disability. And as of today, no one knows when his trial will take place. The good news is, I guess, that he's still in jail and he's not out on the streets. And even though he didn't make it to trial, Chris, the other shooter, did. So, Chris goes to trial in June 2019. During trial, prosecutors presented DNA evidence linking him to the recovered murder weapons as well as the getaway car. The prosecution argued that Chris and his accomplice, Marcus, were trying to end a drug-dealing feud between Charlie, Sean, and a third man named Luke, and that Chris went over to Charlie's house with a plan to kill. At trial, we'll find out that Luke is the likely third shooter that went to Charlie's house that night, but you won't really hear his name mentioned. Although Luke is named throughout police reports, he was never arrested. After police arrested Marcus in November of 2017, the Jupiter police chief announced that the case was closed, and since then, police have refused to answer questions about Luke. Even Charlie, the one who was hosting his friends that night and survived the shooting, testified to the fact that he recognized Luke as one of the gunmen. Now, I'm not going to talk much about Luke on here. I will say I grew up with him, and to this day, I don't have a bad thing to say about him from my own personal experiences. Um, I knew him pretty well, and he was always super, super, super sweet to me. He comes from a great family and I you know out of respect for his family I don't want to say much but I will just say that it is obvious that he got involved with the wrong crowd later in life and that's all I will say about that so it's not entirely clear why Luke was never arrested I don't know if maybe he was granted immunity in exchange for talking with the police we just don't know but he never testified in Chris's trial so again we just don't know. But I digress. So at Chris's trial, we find out that Charlie, Sean, and Luke had issues with each other. We actually learn a lot at Chris's trial thanks to the testimony of Charlie. And before I get into Charlie's testimony, maybe we should just do a brief recap of you know who is involved. So there's Charlie, who hosted his friends that night, had his friends over. Brandy and Kelly were the two girls that were over at Charlie's house that died as a result of this shooting Sean was also a friend of Charlie's that died as a result of the shooting Sean was Involved in this whole thing whereas Brandy and Kelly were not they were unintended victims so to speak So you have Charlie and Sean who were friends They were hanging out that night and they were both involved with drugs and guns Then you have Marcus, Chris, and Luke, who are said to be the alleged shooters, okay? So Charlie testifies, and when he takes the stand, Charlie is in his own jumpsuit and shackles because he too was arrested, but on separate charges relating to guns and drugs, not the murders. So Charlie says that he and Chris knew each other because they both sold guns and drugs and that Chris was not one of the guests at his house the night of the shooting, meaning he wasn't invited over for the bonfire, but he did come by the night before to take a look at a couple of firearms that he wanted to buy. Charlie says that the night before when Chris came over, Sean was also over. And Sean and Chris had a conversation about Luke robbing one of Sean's friends out of thousands of dollars worth of product and that Sean wanted to get back at Luke. Well, it turns out that Luke and Chris are good friends. Now, why you would talk to someone's friend about killing that person is beyond me. So I'm not really sure what Sean was doing talking to Luke's friend about killing Luke, but Charlie goes on to testify that Sean had asked Chris if he could murder Luke or if he could have Luke murdered. And that Sean was essentially wanting to get the okay from Chris to go forward with it. And according to Charlie, Sean's word held weight around Jupiter. So if Sean says he's gonna do something or he wants something done, it'll happen. So Charlie's thought was that Chris was scared that Sean was talking about having Luke killed or killing Luke, and knew it was only a matter of time before Luke was killed. Again, why you would talk to someone about killing their friend? Beyond me. So it seems what happened here is that Sean obviously talked to Chris about killing Luke, Chris went and told Luke, and either Luke himself or Chris and Luke together decided to just take out Sean So Sean wouldn't be able to take out Luke. According to the defense, the former is true. So the defense says at trial that Chris was actually a victim himself. And that yes, in the days before the shooting, Sean and Chris did speak about Luke, but that Chris, Luke, and Marcus only went to Charlie's house to talk and that Chris had no intention of violence. But by the end of the altercation, Chris himself had been shot. And to prove that Chris was just simply being the mediator, so to speak, the prosecution would show several phone calls from Chris to Luke, Sean, and Charlie, where Chris was allegedly just trying to get everyone to come to some sort of truce. So essentially, the defense is arguing that Chris wasn't the shooter. Chris was just trying to get everyone on the same page and get everyone to get along, and in the midst of it, he himself became a victim. But At the end of the day, through Charlie's testimony and evidence presented, the jury just wasn't buying it, and they convicted Chris of all charges. The state actually sought the death penalty in this case, but it didn't work out that way. So, Chris is now serving three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. Okay, so remember how I said when Charlie gave testimony at Chris's trial, he himself was in his own jumpsuit and shackles? Well, following the shooting in 2018, Charlie was given an eight-year prison sentence for various charges relating to possession of firearms and drugs. Because after the shooting, when detectives went into Charlie's house, they said he had so many guns, it was just an arsenal of weapons. But actually, in 2020, so two years later, federal court records show that Charlie had his sentence reduced to time served and five years of supervised release, including home detention with electronic monitor- monitoring for six months. So Charlie gets out after two years. He has five years of supervised release, but that was it. He just had to serve two years of that eight-year prison sentence. But that didn't last long. Because as of June 7th, 2021, just over a year after his release, Charlie landed himself back behind bars. For what you ask? Drugs. Of course. So what do we know as of today? A few things. For one, we know that the two women who died that night, Brandy and Kelly, should have never been killed. It was one of those wrong place, wrong time situations, and unfortunately their lives ended because of it, which is heartbreaking. We know that Charlie, Sean, Chris, and Luke were involved in some pretty serious gun and drug dealing. It's unclear at this point whether or not Marcus was involved in that gun and drug dealing or he just happened to be a third party that was with Chris and Luke that night and tagged along to Charlie's house. But another thing we know is that Chris and Luke were on the same team and Sean and Charlie were on the same team. We know that Sean wanted Luke dead. Word got back to Luke and Luke acted first. We know that Charlie hasn't learned his lesson, apparently, because he found himself behind bars again. We know that Chris is serving three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. We know that Marcus is sitting in jail awaiting trial and faces the death penalty, but it's unclear when he'll eventually go to trial as of now. And lastly, we know that Luke appears to be the one that got away, for whatever reason, the police decided not to arrest him, and he's maintained a pretty low profile since. And that is the story of the triple murder on Super Bowl Sunday 2017 in Jupiter, Florida. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. This one was an interesting one for me to record considering my personal ties to the story, but it's one that not many people have shared. If you enjoyed this episode and haven't reviewed my show already, please leave me a five-star review on whichever platform you listen. It helps my show more than you know, and I appreciate it even more than that. And don't forget that my weekly, unbiased, impartial take on current affairs and the law for this past week just dropped on Monday. I post those episodes every Monday, so listen to that if you haven't already so you can be all caught up on the current happenings. I covered the search at Mar-a-Lago, A misleading headline regarding a Nebraska teen being criminally charged with forcing an abortion, and the IRS job posting for special agents that requires carrying a firearm, and the ability to use deadly force while on the job, and why that job posting is now getting backlash. So with that, thank you for being here, and I will talk to you guys soon.